Well, good morning again. If I haven't already introduced myself, I am Pastor Adam Lee. I am uh, one of the pastors on staff here. Pastor Chris uh, gave me some notes this morning for me to share. He is with our Berkeley Springs campus, preaching live and in person down there in Berkeley Springs. And um, I'm continuing the Passion Sermon series, and today I'm so excited about the topic of worship, the topic of worship. So as we move along this morning, we're going to be doing a couple things. Number one, we're going to be looking for a definition of worship together. We're going to try to define it. Number two, we're going to try to increase it. We're going to define it and increase it. And we'll do that by asking three really, really pointed questions. You guys ready? You ready to try that? Welcome again our friends in New Hampshire and our friends at Fort Dietrich Fire. We love you guys. We're praying for all of you. Well, if you're ready, let's stand to our feet. Let's get right into the Word of God. I know you just sat down, but this will be the last time, I promise. We're going to talk this morning about reasonable worship. Reasonable worship. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark 14. Starting in verse 3, we're going to read all the way down through verse 9. Mark 14, chapter 3. Or Mark 14, verse 3. If you're ready, say amen. All right, let's read this together. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask, poured it over his head. Verse 4, there were some there who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 Denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Last verse, truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And that is exactly what we are doing today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that it is true. It is good. It has a purpose to challenge us, to transform us, to to be transformed by renewing our mind today on your word. I pray, God, that your word would fall on rich, ready soil and that it would change us from the inside out. I pray these things in Christ's name. Everybody said amen and amen. You may be seated. Grab your seats. I want to set the tone of the message by just simply making the point that, that we were made to worship. that God actually created us to to be able to worship him. And um, 
So working on a definition of what is worship, uh, I was driving in the truck on yesterday, and me and my daughter were on a daddy-daughter date night. Isn't that cute? <laughs> every, every couple of years, you know, we take her out. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, okay, Adam, you got to preach on Sunday. You got time with your daughter. First of all, just ask, I asked her, I said, you okay if we talk about my message on Sunday, just run it by you? And she's all good with it. And so I'm thinking to myself, if I can explain it to where a nine-year-old could get it, my kids are nine and seven. I was just thinking to myself, if I could get a nine-year-old around this, I could, I could get anybody around it. So I'm just like, hey, Nova, uh, what is worship? And I started asking her some questions like, what's, it, what's this supposed to look like? Uh, how much is too much? And I was just kind of going down through it. And uh, she answers me back in the truck when I said, well, what is it? And she goes, well, it's It's praise. And I was like, oh, it's praise. And she said, yeah, it's, it's, it's praise and glory. And I was like, oh, praise and glory. And she said, yeah, but it's also relationship. I'm like, you know those moments where, like, you realize your kids are smarter than you thought they were? <laughs> and you know darn well it ain't because of you? <laughs> you must have been talking to your mom or talking to grandma or talking to somebody at church because I ain't that good. It's worse. It's praise. It's glory. It's a relationship. And then I kind of asked her, well, why would you do it? Why would you worship? And she goes, well, because he did everything for us. Dang. Nine-year-old is preaching to me. And, uh, I thought that's a great, that's kind of a great starting place for today's message that what is worship and why do we do it? You know, something pretty neat that the, that the worship team has been doing here the past couple of weeks, Pastor Sam and Pastor Skip have put together where the, the singers of the team go back into the kids' ministry and sing worship songs with them during service. Anybody hear about that happening? Yeah. That's really cool. I think they're back there right now. And uh, just kind of like trying to build a worship culture here at the church. And uh, thinking about like my daughter, my conversation with my daughter, and then the, the team kind of going back there and doing that. Um, it's something so simple and so childlike that uh, it's, it's not the actual singing of a worship song. Because worship's more than a song, Right? Worship's more than raising your hands when the band plays. Worship is more than, than giving our money. Worship is a whole lot of stuff. And so just something as simple as going back there, I was thinking, man, that's, that's, they're teaching worship to the kids. They're teaching worship to the kids. But then I started thinking, it's not the actual singing of the songs. That's, that's the worship part. It's, it's the willingness to go back there. It's the surrender to say, okay, I'll sing with some kids. Or for the teachers to say, okay, we'll make space in our classrooms for the worship team now every Sunday with our hands full. And it's the willingness to participate in the worship of God that's so important. And what, what, what I hope is coming across back there. Amen? So before we get too much into a definition, let me go into just a quick backstory about what I read in the Word of God. 
in the Gospel of Mark, we read that six days before the Passover, Jesus is anointed by a woman named Mary. This is the second time that Jesus is anointed in th- and throughout the scriptures for his burial. Uh, the first time was while John the Baptist was still alive, and, and he was anointed, the Bible says, by a sinful woman who came and poured perfume on, on his feet. And then we have this time in the house of Simon the leper, where Mary comes and anoints Jesus' head and feet with a, a bottle of very expensive perfume. Pure nard is what it says. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but it's expensive, worth 500 denarii. Mark's version of this story leaves out the identity of the woman, just as a woman. But if we read this exact story in the book of John, I think it's 12, his gospel reveals the identity of the woman as Mary, Martha's sister, also sister of Lazarus, whom God raised from the dead. You guys remember that story? Lazarus. So Lazarus, Mary, Martha, those were among the people present at this meal where Mary anoints Jesus. Simon, the leper, was the host of the meeting, and he was likely honoring Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead. And he's like, I got you. You're coming over to my house. We're going to have some people together, cook a meal for you. We're going to honor you at my house. Simon himself was also healed from leprosy. And so no doubt he was honoring Jesus for his healing. And then what happens is Mary comes along and she empties a very expensive bottle of perfume and anoints Jesus' head and feet. And the Bible says what happens next is that there were some disciples present whom became indignant with Mary, and they begin to talk among themselves. Why does she waste this perfume? Why does she, uh, does she not know what she's doing? And uh, J- Judas, we find out also from John's gospel. You guys remember who Judas is? Judas, the disciple who bet- betrayed Jesus. Judas actually becomes the spokesman for the disciples in that dinner. And he says, the Bible says they begin to scold her and say, don't you know how expensive that is? That money could be taken and given to the poor. And um, Jesus instructs them. He says, he says, leave her alone. He explains to them what she's done. She's done what she, she's done with all she has. And she's anointing my body for burial. Whether she knew it or not, she was anointing his body for burial. And he's saying, what she has done is worship. What she has done is worship. So I want to I start off by asking the question, what is it supposed to look like? What is it supposed to look like? And uh, I want to I paint a picture here that this is, this is an incredible display of worship all around. This story about the disciples honoring Jesus, cooking for him, serving him, 
uh, Mary anointing him. This is an amazing display of worship all the way around. I would I have in my notes, it's ac- it was actually a house full of worship. Because you have Simon the leper who is healed of his leprosy hosting Jesus and the disciples at his house, worship. See, we're working on a definition of worship this morning, and it's so much more than just a song we sing or a, something we give or something that we do. It's, uh, the Bible says in Romans 12, actually, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your acceptable and holy worship under the Lord. So offer your body as a living. What does that look like? Well, you have Simon opening up his house. You have Martha in the kitchen slaving away as some grub for everybody, cooking, cleaning, making sure everything's attended for, and and she's worshiping with her service. You have the disciples gathered there reclining with Jesus. How many would say that spending time with him is worship? They're there with him. Oh, he's going to be there? I'm going to be there. I, I, I want to worship him wherever he's at. I want to be there. And so they're there reclining with him. And then you have Mary who comes along and with her worship, she spills out this perfume on his head, on his feet. And what I want to point out is what is it supposed to look like? You have all these people, a house full of worship. I want to say that in setting the scene that we have a house full of worship, and then what we transition into is some irritated worshipers. A house full of worship, and then we discover that some of the worshipers are irritated by some of the worship. (laughs) This doesn't happen in church especially not where you guys are at watching online. We have, we have worshipers irritated by the worship of others. And then what we have is it goes another level as so far as irritation turns into criticism. And now we have a house full of worship, a house full of irritated worshipers, and now a house full of criticism towards worship. And they begin to scold Mary for what she did. And we find out that Jesus right away has her back. We find out that Jesus right away is defining worship differently. That he's going to step in and say, leave her alone. What she is doing is good. She is worshiping me. So what is it supposed to look like? I think Jesus explains what beautiful worship looks like. How do we do it the right way? If you're anything like me this morning, you're just, you're, you're, you're coming to church, you're here, all right, I want to learn how to worship. You're thinking, just tell me what to do, and I'll do it. Anybody like that? I'm like that. Just tell me how to do it, and I'll do it. And I don't think it's that easy. I don't think it's that easy, because Jesus did not condemn people for hosting. He did not condemn people for, uh, for cooking and cleaning. He did not condemn anyone except for when they became frustrated and critique, critical. Then he started to rebuke the worship. I want to read you a passage out of Luke 10, talking about Mary a little bit this morning. 1038. Now, as they went on their way, 
Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary. This is the same Mary. Who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus did not say to Martha that serving was bad, but when serving to the place of frustration and criticism, that's when it becomes bad. When our worship, when we become irritated with others, is when we cross the line from good worship to bad worship. When we become irritated with others. Mary had a reputation for for this different kind of worship that was demonstrated by her full attention. So I want to make a point. What does it look like? Well, I don't exactly know. But I do know that when you sit at his feet, you learn. And we find out that Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's her priority. I'm just going to give him my full attention. And uh, in, our, in, our, in our seeking to define what worship is, I, I want to just make the point that it is discovered at the feet of the cross. Amen? We, we discover what worship is about at the feet of Jesus. And he ends up, Jesus ends up complimenting Mary. The one thing that is required of her, she is doing. She is at my feet. He doesn't condemn Martha for serving, but he says, but but he makes the point, listen, when your worship to me, Here's how I know when it's too much, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead. But here, here's how I know when, when, when it's not, when it's no longer worship, what it's not supposed to look like. When your worship of me causes you to discriminate the worship of somebody else. When your worship of me, all of your doing and your your yeses and your your, your taking care ofs and your uh, when, when all of this activity starts to be, you start to just become irritated by others' lack of activity, or or there, you start to just be. Does anybody? Can anybody relate to what I'm trying to say this morning? When it becomes irritable, it ceases to be worship. It ceases to be worship. Mary had the reputation of sitting at his feet. I wish it was just as easy as telling you what to do. I wish the Bible just told us what to do, the things to do. Bring your, bring your tithe into the storehouse. Raise your hands during worship. Uh, say these things to your spouse every morning. Do these things at 12 every day. I wish it was like that. But it's not that simple. We are called to worship Jesus, not through an approved universe of religious ceremony that has a predetermined amount of sacrifice and commitment, but with everything that we are and everything that we have. Worship with what you have. 
I want to read this, another scripture in Mark, chapter 12, verse 28. It says this, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Okay. We're getting a little closer to a definition. What's worship? Well, it's to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. Well, what's that look like? I think the answer to that question is different for every single person in this room. My all of and your all of is very different. My all of and your all of is very different. So what we find Mary doing is worshiping with all that she had. Remember, she's pouring out this perfume to him, anointing his head, anointing his feet. It was all that she had. Some might look at this and observe, well, we have to give him everything that we have. That's, that's, the, that's the takeaway, clearly. We have to give him a year's wages, and then we'll be worshiping on another level. If you take that away, you take the wrong thing away. Because it's not about how much it hurts when you give or the amount that you give. It's about who she was and who she was giving to. Can I get an amen? See, to her, it was different. To her, it was personal. To her, 500 denarii was not enough. To her, it was, you raised my brother from the dead. My brother had died. His name was Lazarus. He laid in a tomb for four days, and you raised him back to life again. You can have it all. That was her mentality. That was her heart. That was her loving the Lord God with all of her heart, mind, soul, and strength. She says, you raised my brother from the dead. Take it. And Jesus says, that's worship. It wasn't a year's wages I was, in, I was concerned with. Mary, it was just all of you. And so the assessment that needs to happen every single day in our lives, men and women, listen to me, the assessment every single day is, am I giving him all of me? He's asked for it. He said, love me with all of your strength, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. What does all of you look like? The pleasing aroma that God would smell is when you have given him all of you. What's that assessment look like in the morning? The church should be encouraging people to worship with what they have specifically. Because as I said in the beginning, God gave, God made you to worship him. God made you to worship him. He did not intend for the whole entire church to worship him the same way. He intended for some to, to host him in his house. He intended for some to, to cook him a meal. He intended others to anoint him, his head and his feet. He intended others to recline with him and spend time with him. He created you to worship. And there's something so unique and specific about the way you worship that gets the Father's attention. Amen? So in defining worship today, we're not, we're not concerned about finding the X, Y, and Z to worship. We're concerned with your heart and what it looks like to offer that all to him. And this is your living sacrifice, your act of spiritual worship unto God. Amen? 
So the next question in helping to define it and increase it is how much is too much? Because you might be thinking, okay, Pastor Adam, he wants it all. He wants the whole heart, the whole soul, the whole mind. He takes a year's wages sometimes. <laughs> what? How much is too much then? Because am I supposed to, I always think about this, how would I train my kids to do it, right? How would I train my, am I supposed to tell my kids every dollar that comes into your hand, you're going to give it to God? Is that responsible? Is that reasonable? Is that too much? So tell me how much is too much. It's, it's interesting here in my notes, that hosting the meal was not deemed over the top. Neither was serving or giving or even being healed. Simon the leper who was healed from his leprosy. Lazarus who was raised from the dead. None of these, none of these things were deemed over the top or, or uh, unreasonable. But as soon as Mary broke open that perfume and poured out a year's wages, it became unacceptable. It became too much. It became, there became a limit on what was acceptable. The disciples were irritated that day because they thought they knew the limits of good worship. But I want to ask a really good question. What, 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 was, what was wrong that day was not really their criticism, was not really their irritation, What was really wrong with the disciples and Judas specifically that day was that he thought he could put a limit on somebody else's worship. He thought he could decide and define the worship of another human being, which someone say, amen, that's something only God can do. Only God can define what worship looks like for you and I. Only God knows what pleasing and acceptable and sacrifice and and enough and not enough. And only God knows what that looks like from you and I. And where the disciples crossed the line, Judas in particular, and I'll get into why why that was probably true of him later, but he thought that he could play God. He thought that he could decide what was acceptable, unacceptable, enough, not enough. And where we really get into trouble as disciples of Christ is when we think we can define for others what their worship ought to look like. Well, if you loved them more, you'd be doing more. Well, if if you were a little bit more obedient, you'd give a little bit more money. Ah! Don't say that in church. Well, if, if, you know, you treat your spouse a little differently if, if you really were worshiping the Lord. And we come across, we think we could play God and decide what worship looks like for somebody else, but that's not how it works. Somehow, I believe today that if God in his perfect glory and just his ultimate wisdom, if I in my life was giving too much, he put his hand on me and say, that's enough. You ultimately have to have the confidence today that he knows you and he loves you and he's willing to put his hand on you when enough is enough. You know, that, that is enough. And you know when I believe that it's enough? I believe that it's enough when you become irritated with others. I believe that it's enough when you become frustrated with your, with your, with your worship. Oh, I'm over here worshiping and it's not happening. Or I'm over here worshiping and nobody else is worshiping. And, and as soon as it turns into frustration, God's going to put his hand on you and say, that's enough. Worship for now. Come back to the feet. Come back to the feet. 
Come back to the cross. You, you cared more about your gift than who you were giving it to. Come back to the cross. It's more important to you how much and how this and how that more, that's more important to you than who I am. Come back to the feet. Amen. Come back to the feet. So in, in, in discovering the definition for worship, it is found at the feet of Jesus and it is different for every person. There is not a limit available. It's all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul and all of your strength. Amen. I think the better question is, has my worship ever bordered on extravagant? Has my worship ever been to the danger line of too much? Have I ever been there? Oh, this is in my notes. And uh, I want to make a point that worship is more than a genre of music. Worship. Let's, let's continue defining it. Worship is more than raising your hands when the band is playing. Can I get an amen? Is raising your hands when the worship is playing worship? Yes. But we cannot define it by that. Uh, is worship being generous with your finances? Yes. Can we define worship by giving you with your finances? No. And so it's really important to know that it's more than a genre of music. It's more than simply dropping a 20 in the plate. Or we don't do the plate, but you know what I'm saying. It's, it's more than all of this. And I want to make the point that I'm glad it's not that. I'm glad it's not that. I'm glad it's not raising your hands when the band is playing. You want to know why? Because I did that at a rock concert. I did that when the band said, everybody get your hands in the air. Or you know what I'm talking about. You're at that, that, T, that Taylor Swift concert. And she says, get your hands up. And if I had defined worship by hands up when the band's playing, I'd be worshiping idols. <laughs> if I, they get my money too, so if it was money, then they're getting it all. They're getting my money and my hands up. But I want to make a point that too many Christians will put their hands up at a rock concert and not in the sanctuary. Too many Christians will go to the rock concert, throw their hands in the air, and then come to church and do this. Mm-mm. Something's backwards about that. Something's backwards about that, guys. It's, it's more than that. All right, we're going to get into a little bit of a difficult truth about worship. Can you come along with me for a second? I want you to think about this. The truth of this story you had all of these worshipers, and you had a little bit of frustration, a little bit of critique, and then Jesus did a little bit of scolding, and everybody moved forward, right? So you, you have this teaching moment, and it's all good. But I want to make a point 
that Martha in the kitchen worshiping, Simon hosting and worshiping, the disciples reclining with Jesus worshiping, Mary anointing Jesus worshiping. I want to make the point that none of the people present in that room were around for the burial of Christ. None of those people would provide Jesus with a proper burial. None of them. They all would scatter. And so the uncomfortable truth about worship is sometimes worship ceases when things stop going our way. As I got to admit, the perfume was very extravagant. It was commendable. It was what we're looking at today as true worship. But there was, came a point in time where Jesus was arrested and he was crucified and he, was die, and he died and he was buried. This is the Easter story. And his tomb was purchased, it was borrowed by a, a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. The only, the only way, the only reason Jesus received a proper burial of any kind. And so I want to make the point, and I am guilty as charged, that when, when things stop going our way, sometimes our worship ceases. And there is never a more important time in your life to be more worshipful than when it's not going your way. When it's not going your way, you, you still say, okay, all of the heart, all of the mind, all of the soul, all of the strength. I didn't see that coming, but it's all yours. That hurt really bad, but it's still all yours. This is not going the way that I thought it was going to go, but it's still all yours. Amen? This is what worship is. This is what, this is what worship, what beautiful worship is. The very last question I want to I ask us is, have you checked your motivations. I think the root of the frustration of the disciples was their motivations for giving. Have you checked your motivations? Reasonableness has never been a term that should have been associated with the worship of God. Have you ever checked your motivations? I think that the reason I asked my daughter the question, well, why would you serve? That question is so important. If you ever want to know what your motives are, just ask yourself why you do it. Well, you do this every day without fail. You drop the kids off at the bus stop. You, you clock in at work. You, 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 know, you, you, you do this. Have you ever stopped and just said, why? Ask yourself, why do I do that? Why is a powerful question. And so if you, if you ask yourself questions like, why did I come to church this morning? Why did I raise my hands if I did during the worship music? Why? Why is a powerful question. And I think the reason why the disciples, or at least some of them, were irritated with Mary's gift is because their why was wrong. When I asked my daughter in the truck, why would you worship him? 
All she said was, don't you love the childlikeness, the faith of a child? The Bible does say to, to approach him with the, with, the chi- with the faith of a child. My daughter just said, I said, why would you do that? And she said, well, because he gave us everything. That's why Mary gave him the perfume, because he had given her everything. And that was, the, that was her why was straight. Her why made sense. He gave me everything. I think if our why gets out of alignment, we start asking, why did she do that? Doesn't she know that that money could have been sold and given to the poor? And Jesus says, nope, your why is out. The poor you will always have with you, but me you will not. Let me, let me line it back up. Line the why back up. Why did you come here today? Why did you, why do you serve at the church? Why do you give in, in, in the offering? Why? Got to line it back up. Is it because of he gave me everything? Or am I serving to get noticed? Or am I, am, am I giving to get noticed? It, is my why off? You know how you can tell? You're irritated. You're not pleased with really anything <laughs> or anyone. You're irritated. Well, they do this, and that's not right, and I'm irritated, and I'm worshiping. You got to realign the why. It is not what you are doing. It is not what you are giving. It is who you are giving to. Amen. The band's going to come back up. We're going to close with this. Who you are giving to is more important than what you are giving. Your worship is about him. Amen. Your worship is about him. And I think where we get it twisted is we make our worship about us. Frustration follows that. Criticism follows that. And then if you're going by the story, you're going to get scolded by Jesus after that. He's going to scold you. He's going to scold me. Adam, you're out of alignment again. The person is irritating you because you are out of alignment with me. Come back to my feet. So maybe that's what this message is. We defined it, but now we're talking about increasing it. The way that you increase your worship is you come back to his feet. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you, maybe you realize you're, you're, you're out of alignment. Maybe you've been confused about how much is too much or what is this supposed to look like. But today you were, God communicated to you through his word that you're just out of alignment and you need to come back to my feet. Can we stand together as we close? What motivates you to worship? Come on, really dig, really dig in these next couple minutes. Really dig, really dig. Why did you come to church today? Why did you raise your hands? Why? Why is your heart beating right now? Why? Why do you serve? Mary gave what was in her heart. She said, you raised my brother from the dead. Jesus, you saved my life. I am no longer blind. I now see. I am no longer sick. I am now healed. God, I had had not a future, but you gave me a hope and a future. He did it all for you.
Mary loved who she was giving to more than what she was giving. Come on, I want to close with this. As the band plays, our eyes are closed. We're going to pray like this. There's a, there's a scripture in the Psalms by King David, and it simply goes like this. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test my ways. Try me and know my thoughts. God, I pray right now that you would search us, that you would know us, that you would try our thoughts, you would try our motives, you would try our reasons. God, let us be motivated to be at your feet, to be worshiping the the ultimate giver. God, to be worshiping you in spirit and in truth. We're here today, God. We're at your feet. We want to realign our worship to you. We don't want to be frustrated. We don't want to be critical. We want to come back to your feet. We want to surrender all, and we want to give it all to you, Lord. Our All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, this is what you desire, God. When we offer you a living sacrifice, we do that today and now. It is in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen.